Talk about life. Hello, hello. Welcome to Creatively Relating. I'm Viana Novis. Thanks so much for being here today. This episode is with Nadia Payan who is an educator, artist, and speaker devoted to the exploration and realization of conscious creativity. And this one was really fun for me because Nadia and I got to meet right here recording this episode of the show. And we had gotten connected maybe three or four days prior We both came in without a lot of information about the other, with just this kind of sense that, ooh, I think we share perspective. I think we share um, some mindset uh, in the way we approach life. And we got connected through James Olivia, who was on episode four. And if you've listened to that episode, at the end of the episode, when I ask James, uh, James Olivia the list of questions that I ask everyone, they responded to the question about creativity with Nadia's name. And I immediately was like, well, who is this person? I definitely want to have them on the show if James Olivia is recommending them. And when James Olivia thinks about creativity, they think about Nadia. That's definitely a person I want to talk to. And James Olivia connected us. And then we just hopped on and recorded this episode a few days later. So uh, it was really fun. We got to meet in real time, and um, it was such a joyful conversation. And I feel excited to see what unfolds with my connection with Nadia, because there's so much resonance, even through the differences we have. Uh, we seem to still align so deeply in our perspectives, and I think that's so fun to connect. I love how the internet can bring us together in that way, how community can bring us together in that way, how our world can get so small through technology, right? Like that is just brilliant. So this episode, uh, I hope you enjoy this fun opportunity to meet a new friend in public. (laughs) Oh, remember the days when that used to happen? Oh, yeah, thinking about that. Okay. (laughs) If you have thoughts about today's episode or any episode you've listened to, I would love to hear them. Thoughts, questions, ideas, comments, difference, whatever you've got. I'd love to hear it. You can call in anytime at 1-833-2-RELATE, 1-833-273-5283, or you can write in creativelyrelating at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show and want to support it, you can do so for free, really simply, by subscribing to the show, leaving a review, sharing with a friend, sharing on social media. You can come follow me on Instagram at viana.novis. And that's all free ways to support the show and help keep, uh, keep this content coming. If you want to support it financially, you can also do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash Viana Novis, 
We gather once a month to meditate live together and for a Q&A. There are weekly shares. I give creativity exercises, writing prompts, behind the scenes views on projects I'm working on, first access to courses and retreats when that is the thing again, and, uh, and lots more. $3 entry level. It's a pay what you can system. So if you get If you have $3 to offer, $5, $20, $50, whatever you can contribute to the show, that helps to support me putting this content out. And the goal here with Patreon is to grow it to a point where I can pay all of the guests who come on this show. So, you know, the entry point is low, so we can grow the community large and uh, make it accessible to everyone to many at least. I mean, no $3 is out of range for some folks, but if that's accessible for you, uh, you can help me reach that goal of being able to pay all of the guests for their time and uh, show them their grati- the gratitude I feel and that we as a community feel for their offering. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode with Nadia. Nadia, I'm so grateful that we're getting to meet live in public. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) It's really thrilling. And already just in five minutes that we've been talking before recording, I feel like this is going to be really fun. Yeah, I think so too. So let's start with um, a bit about you. You can give us your name, uh, your pronouns, any identity markers you want to share, your location if you want to share that, and any access needs or uh, what you're arriving with today. Cool. So my name is Nadia Payan. Hi, everyone. Um, My pronouns are she and they. And I'm in Miami, Florida in the United States. I do feel like that context is important. And I am excited to share my identity markers as we have this conversation. I think they're going to come up organically. There's a lot of things I, there's a lot of context to the person that it's me. Um, And, and as we navigate, like, as we go through this little, uh, I don't know, dance, um, they'll just naturally ebb and flow and it'll come up. Oh, and what I'm coming with right now, I'm feeling full. Mm. I'm feeling full. Um, We have a time difference between us that I want to name. Mm -hmm. And that means that I got to spend, like it's mid-afternoon for me when we're recording this. So I got to spend the morning with a friend of mine and just share tea and catch up and give gifts (laughs) because I (sighs) brought them some gifts from Mexico and... um, yeah, so I'm coming with that, like just feeling all mm, <laughs> delicious. <laughs> That's wonderful. I yeah. love hearing that. I also had a morning with a friend, my who I call my work wife, my pod mate. We have been doing a B school, this business program. And so my I'm coming full, but I think maybe a different full, like I feel saturated. My brain is like, whoa, so much information in here. 
<laughs> so I, it's uh, fun. That kind of allows for the conversation to not get so heady. I have a fullness totally. of uh, more of the heart. <laughs> yes, that's great. I love that. And we can meet in that and, and uh, like I overflow, mm-hmm. <laughs> overflow here together mm-hmm. from that fullness. So let's give listeners some context here because we, this is the first time we're talking. We've been in each other's orbit for maybe a week. Like so brand new. It's real fresh, everyone. It's real Real, fresh. Real fresh. fresh. And I already just, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of bursting and excited about what uh, is, what we're going to plant in this space and um, what may lay ahead for us here. And the reason that I, got connected to you was because James Olivia was on the show and I had asked them about creativity and they just gave me your name. And they were like, whenever I think of creativity, I think of Nadia. So I was like, oh, who is Nadia? Okay. And I immediately, like we got off that call and I immediately went on Instagram and found you and just followed. And I was like, I made a mental note because I was running out the door. I want to write a message and I want to connect. And then you, it sounds like you spoke with James Olivia and you actually were the one to write to me, which was yes. fantastic. And what <laughs> James was-, was like, here's connective tissue, go. <laughs> <laughs> Seeds planted and we both responded. I'll say um, the thing you don't know that happened on my end, or maybe I don't remember. I don't think you know this because we don't really know each other. <laughs> Is um, when James Olivia posted on their social media like, oh, just had a conversation. And, um, and I saw the words creatively relating podcast. I was just like, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) The name of this podcast sounds interesting. Like I just got all up up in in their business. I was like, tell me more. (laughs) And, um, and then we were, we were catching up anyway. And, um, and that's that from on my end solidified it. I was just oh like, okay, God. I need to reach out to Viana and like, see what's going on there. Cause, um, and we were, before we started recording, we were starting to get into this and we had to like, stop ourselves. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Because I, uh, and I'll, I'll name it now if that's all right. Yes, please. Okay. Um, we started talking about how we felt similar energies, like similar, that's how I see it mm-hmm. or how I feel it similar energies or maybe even if I'm if I'm gonna be this bold, I'm gonna I'm going there, but like similar purpose or similar mission. Yes, I'm with and you. I was yeah. And so I was like, oh I'm picking up I'm picking up your frequency. Like, let's talk. Yes. And um and that one of the things that I'm excited about to discover is like to me it's really exciting when I get to interact with someone that has so much like it's so clear to see the similarities to discover our differences too. Mm. And yes. to get to be like just relishing in that. And yeah, that's what I've got. I am I am right next to you in that. I am so there with you. There's the first thing that I saw when I just I just peeked at your Instagram, like just a quick swipe, watched one video. And oh, yeah. you know, the seeing your your take on creativity and your lens, and I was like, oh man, we have shared language, we have shared perspective. I can see it just in this glimpse. And I don't even want to look closer because I just want to relate to you and meet you and talk with you. And the that seed was planted immediately of like, wow, there's so much resonance and what's the difference? Cause there's so much potential I see in that you know, of, of, and it, it, for me, it kind of speaks into this feeling of, um, 
I'm going to say it it feels matriarchal. Um, And in that, I don't hold that in some gender binary. To me, matriarchy is a whole separate system. The binary exists within patriarchy. Matriarchy is an expansive, uh, more of a, uh, it's like a circle where patriarchy feels like a line. It's, Mm. It's collective. It feels like systems are fluid and flowing and interconnected and, and, uh, fueling each other. And for me in that realm in through that lens, there is infinite space for us. There isn't competition. You know, we're not trying to stand on this line that may be a vertical line, you know, that may be a ladder. We're not in competition. We're in this circle. We're in community and we have the potential to co-create and to be in this fluid cycle and, you know, feed into something for me, this sense of mission that you spoke to, it's so much bigger than me. I am just this small little piece. I'm just this little, you know, I I refer to myself as the harmonica in the pocket of what I truly am that like this body is just this (laughs) tiny little instrument and it's kind of pretty irrelevant. Um, And what's more interesting to me is the energy and the seeds we plant and the the impact we make and the way that we connect with each other and what we birth together, what seeds we like nourish together, what things we can create that wouldn't exist on our own. And for me, that difference is where we are going to find like, here's so much resonance and here's where we're different. And that's the space of creativity that can come alive. Ah! <laughs> yes. I just um, launched my arms up in the air because this yes. is audio. <laughs> so just an FYI. Because I I actually, it's one of the, what you just named. I mean, so, so much. Let's just drink in what you just said. <laughs> As I literally take a sip of water. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just feel like when, when it comes to creative expression, creativity, for me, it's really about like what it means to be living. And I add this nuance because I think it's necessary in today's world to be able to open up a dialogue, but like a conscious creative life, Mm -hmm. but ultimately a creative life, right? I add that I add that adjective at the front there just so folks don't misunderstand me with the hope that folks don't misunderstand me, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably do. That's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I don't understand myself. Um, <laughs> but I, I do feel that like when we in, interact in a creative with living, right, as our, as our masterpiece, our life as our art, our, you know, just fully being like, okay, how's, how you think you're having a, you know, regular day? How do I make it creative? You know, how do, in what ways to just fold that energy in? Because it's, it is period mm-hmm. and a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Creativity is, it's in every single one of us. I recently posted something that like creativity is your birthright. Mm-hmm. I have five, bazillion like that is my if there's going to be anything that I um subscribe to or I have I do share this that like I feel that that's what I'm devoted to is mm. creativity this energy oh. of creativity this energy of creation and I have multiple ways in which I do it and um but that's my life that's my whole 
way. And the difference, that's when really beautiful things can happen. Yeah. Like, and I'm so happy you named the whole competition thing too. I forgot about it. Um, and when you said it, I was like, yes, that's so true because it could, and I just want to say it out loud just for the sake of folks who are listening. Um, I realized in that moment that one way that my sentence could have been interpreted is like, oh, we're too similar. And so we got to find our differences because otherwise we're going to have to meet out in the parking lot. Some <laughs> words, you know? Right. Like, you know right. like, like maybe 10 years ago, that would have been how I met that. Maybe even less than yeah. that, you know? No, for yeah. me, less than that. Yeah. For me, less than that. And, um, and that's, and I, well, actually even you naming that is making me realize like, wow, I've come a long way in a short time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Same. <I'm Nadia>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. I work with children too. So I'm like, I'm like all about the, you know, pat yourself on the back, give yourself a hug. Mm. <laughs> and I'm telling you like the way I serve creativity is in multiples. So I just, I but, yes. feel like I'm looking in a mirror right now in what you're saying, there's so much resonance in that. And, and that the, for me, everything, everything, the way that I define creativity, and I would love to hear what your definition is too, because maybe this will give us some lens on maybe more of where we overlap or maybe where we have difference. Mm. For me, creativity is any time I am in relationship with my conscious will and taking action from that place. So any any action I make from the place of my conscious will is an act of creation, is an act of my creativity. That's how I view it. So it's when I'm operating from pattern and I'm making actions from reaction, right? When I'm taking action as a reaction to trauma or conditioning or something like that, that falls into a little bit of a different area for me. Uh, you know, that it's not what feels like creativity to me is that it's this, the conscious relationship with autonomy and interconnection, the conscious relationship with my will as an individual anchored in uh, the fabric of a collective and bringing something through from that place of will that feels like creation to me. So that's that's how I define it. And then that comes alive in, you know, the most mundane moments when I'm making my bed. If I'm bringing that conscious will and I'm, you know, I am present. I talk a lot about sensuality as a guideline for me in presence. And the, I define that as living life through the senses. And that connects so much to my ideas of creativity because it is so uh, of the moment for me. If I'm in the present moment, it's not about painting or writing or dancing or doing some act it's really about bringing my full presence being in my body and being the essence beyond the body being in relationship with all of that and moving in the world with that current and so i just i i hear a lot of similarities in what you're saying about that uh the multi-dimensional reality of creativity What, what you said. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm just like, mm, mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. <laughs> that was wonderful. Um, I, d- I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> if what, what is unconscious will? To me, that's reaction. That's pattern conditioning. It's the, uh, it's like lacking presence. Yeah. It's the moments, you know, when I'm in the future, in the past and I'm responding to anxiety, like this is often an experience for me, uh, as a result of my trauma mechanism, you know, that's my trauma Mm. response is that I will futurize things and then try to manipulate the present moment to fit into that. That cycle for me feels really out of integrity with what I feel is the trust that's inherent in creation. There's something, and what it feels hard for me to articulate with words, but I can explain it more in sensation. Uh, when I'm moving with that unconscious, the unconscious actions, I, there's a speed, there's, a, there's dysregulation, my energy feels up and out of my body. So there's some element of dissociation or mm. um, just not fully embodied in the, in the moment and in my skin. Um, and there's a lot more reaction. It's not a response. It's not a conscious response. It's that kind of sharp biting reactivity. Mm. And then when I'm in relationship with the conscious will, there's a steadiness and a slowness. There's a patience and trust it i feel grounded i feel more like a tree rather than like a balloon flowing in the air that can just be like popped at any moment there's just Mm -hmm. like a there's a root there's a weight um and there's a patience with it yeah do you have difference there i you know it's it's interesting because when you ask the question I was like, I don't know if I've ever really thought about it. <laughs> I love talk that. about it. I love that. You know, like I was just like, what is creativity to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, there's difference. I, I, I really, what you're sharing really resonates. I think the, the difference might exist in, I, I, in this moment today, my first time engaging with my own definition of creativity. Um, I do have room for it, including the unconscious. Oh. Yeah. I want to hear more about and that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to share more about it. Cause I think for me, like, I, I, and I'm open to being changed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, I know but it's cool because I get to process this aloud. Like, uh, for me, I I also really feel creative, you know. Like, and I and I think that that's something that um, we get like untrained in, right? So, like the fact that oh yeah, you can feel creative. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Everyone, I, I believe everyone can feel creative, including um, all all things all things, including humans. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'm sitting with, so identity markers. One of mine is I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. I grew up playing violin 
And so I, I started playing violin at age six and I got into it really hardcore. Um, and, and I studied and yeah, classically trained all this stuff. And I, I used to play at, you know, events and it, it was a very like, um, it was not a big leap to imagine me being in an orchestra at this point in time. Right. So like, it wasn't that big of a, that's the more or less the level that I got to. And I want to speak to, I'm naming it because I want to speak to it. Well, I'll circle back, but um, to to something there that I think is, is going to be interesting to explore too. But I remember moments. So I like using examples where creativity also is linked with a skill Mm -hmm. because that's a much more, um, current way of interacting with creativity, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's socially accepted. It's very, very, um, top of mind in capitalism. Like, oh, you're creative. What is your skill? You know, like yeah, the two yeah. go hand in hand. Totally. And, um, do you have a creative skill? And for me, creativity, yes, there, you can, what I love about it is that, um, I always imagine of like the, the yin and yang symbol for creativity, because there's an aspect to it that is very present flow, um, ethereal, even energetic. And then if you want it, right, there's an aspect to it that can involve this action orientation, this um, skill building, um, this, I'm going to say discipline. I'm also going to say the word devotion, because I've learned, Mm -hmm. at least from the folks that um, are in my community, that a lot of people have an adverse reaction to the word discipline. I, I personally don't, it's not a charged word for me. So discipline, devotion, take it as you wish. Mm-hmm. Um, I find, I find my, my, uh, my community prefers devotion, <laughs> but <clears throat> like a, a, a practice, right. A repeat, like, all right, let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so violin, I like to, I want to use that as an example because I had, I had developed enough skill that both could be present the fullness of my understanding of my relationship with my violin, which is alive, mm-hmm. um, could be present. And so I remember a distinct, um, a distinct memory that I have is being in the eighth grade and being the only violinist in like, they had, my school had just started a string program. And so I was the only one that had any sort of skill because everyone else was just starting, right? And I had been playing for years already. And so they, the music um, director, teacher person was like, Nadia, you should have a solo. I said, cool, I would love it. Like I have a Leo moon. And I was just like, (laughs) put me on the stage, I am ready. But I was nervous because as much as I love performing and I love performance, I still get, you know, like you still get that those nerves. And so I remember having a moment where I was practicing behind the stage and there was a part of my piece, my, my solo piece, you know, where I was like, I don't remember past this. I don't, I just don't remember it. It's not coming to me. And at that age, I don't know how old you are when you're in eighth grade. Like Um, 12 or 13. Yeah. 12 or 13. I'll say 13. Cause I, I tended to be a little bit older than most, um, in my grade. So let's say I'm 13 and I had been playing for seven years then by then. Right. Wow. So I started at age six. I think my math is right. And so I had enough skill built up 
to trust the other side, right? Mm. Both of them being my creative experience. And so I remember having this thought to myself, like, well, I'm willing to bet my fingers remember the piece. And I went out on the stage. And when I got to that part of the piece that I was playing, I blanked out on purpose. I was like, here's your part. <laughs> Let my fingers go. Wow. And so I, you know, when you describe the balloon and you describe the tree and you, I'm like, I did in, in that memory for me feels like both at the same time where I was very grounded yeah. in my, and in, in my flow. And then also very balloon like of like, all right, higher forces at B, show me your stuff. Also fingers go. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. Wow, I love that story. And for me, what I'm hearing in that though is that there is so much presence and trust. Mm -hmm. So so maybe that metaphor doesn't totally hold up because those actually feel like the cornerstone for me when I talk about conscious will that you even said like I blacked, I, I like blacked out and I let it happen that there was some yeah. element of conscious invitation into the process of trust that's the thing that feels so um, alive for me with how I define creativity. Like that story, for me, it feels like an expansion of what I was trying to say and not actually oh, cool. indifference. That feels like really resonant with it. Uh, that I think like what to me would feel more of the unconscious would be if say you had reached that moment and you, you know, went into a story about how you're not good enough and how you're going to fail and and then you tensed up and you didn't trust yourself. That to me would be the defining line between being in that conversation with creativity and being the the action of creation uh, versus like being in the reactive conditioning trauma however we want to define that space i'm i still struggle for words there but yeah it's yeah. in that like the place where we get stuck in story instead of presence and i mean we're, we're attempting the impossible here i'm also low-key convinced that like there's no real way to describe creativity with words totally uh, completely i'm with <laughs> it's you it's just like you you brought it up a few times you use the word sensation and i was like yeah. yes all all the senses including the ones we don't count yes sense of humor sense of perception yeah. You know, all of that's in there. And and for me, I'm, I also fold in like clairsentience. Yes. <laughs> clairvoyance. Like totally. all those, like um, the senses that are in a, as, in a different state, right? Then we yeah. can necessarily interact with, with our human bodies, but it doesn't mean that we cannot interact with them um, with our energetic bodies. Completely. I love hearing you say that. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you don't know this about me because I don't think there's any imprint of it on Instagram anymore. Uh, before I got pregnant, I was running a school of energy medicine. And yeah, so that's actually that was my lens. You know, I, I started meditating when I was 12 and I, I got into yoga around that age as well and um, and started doing energy work in my late teens and went to massage school, like went, went to a pretty intensive massage therapy program and um, taught yoga for years and taught meditation. And and then that all funneled into me uh, being my classmates in massage school asked me to teach them how to do what I was doing in energy sessions. And so that was kind of the gateway in for me, that invitation. And, and then I developed a year long curriculum and I taught um, the whole foundation of the school was about 
it started with Reiki, but as I got into the curriculum, as I was developing it, I realized the foundation here is being in relationship with yourself and learning how to trust your own personal channel, uh, which now I, I, I'm using, I'm doing all the same stuff, but I'm going through the lens of creativity instead of through the lens of uh, healing and wellness because and I learned a lot, you know, I, I would say I fucked up a lot then, you know, and that mm. was, I started that when I was 23. So, you know, get it there, you know, there was certainly a lot of, uh, there was a different cultural dialogue happening then too. Um, and I, and I learned a lot about what it means to be in my lane. <laughs> and, it, you know, I, I feel like I learned it pretty gracefully too, that I, it wasn't even through these like harsh call outs or things like that. It was really just me starting to step back and be like, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel congruent. Uh, mm. This doesn't feel, I don't, I feel there's a disconnect between what I'm saying and and some of this content. And so I just started to like back away from it. Um, can I, can I ask something? Yes, please. Well, uh, thanks. <laughs> um, how, how, what was that timing? I'm always curious about time. It, like how long did I? Well, like for you to like to launch it at, at 23 and then was it like within six months you felt that way or within like three years or was it little by little? Was it all at once? Well, it, that experience? It, it built. So I taught it in these uh, three month programs. So you could see the evolution in the content um, from the first three month program to the last Three month chunk. So I was I was writing the content with my first group of students, and by the time I got to like creating the second stage of the program, the second three month program, I was already starting to like be in dialogue with that and starting to shift. And then each step I got, you could see it turn up more and more. And then I eventually went back and re rewrote a lot of that first manual, um, and then. You know, so that process was starting to happen pretty immediately, I would say. Um, and it was just, it was like the onion, you know, where I'm just like peeling layer by layer and um, understanding more and more. And now with the perspective I have, I, I often have this like shrieking feeling where I'm like, uh, uh, don't look at any of that. Don't look at it. But there's also a, a knowing that like there were a lot of people impacted and and it informed so much of what I'm doing today. Mm. The the relationship with that sense of energy and the interconnection we have to uh, what lives beyond our physical reality and how that informs what I believe creativity is. And, you know, I think at the essence for me, it's creation in motion is creativity. It's just like, and that can be like nature. It could be slow. It could be death. It could be birth. It, you know, it's like, all of that, it's creation in motion in some way. And is there ever any stillness anyway? Like I look at a tree and I know I could see the stillness and I could understand its roots are moving and its leaves are blowing in the wind. Even if it's subtle and almost imperceivable, there's motion in that stillness. So, And in us too. Yeah. Like to me, there's there is no separation in our in the creation that we are even in those unconscious moments we are still creation and when i what i the bridge for me is when we bring in the conscious will is when we put that energy in motion in some way in the world i'm i'm chewing right now 
I I chew. <laughs> You're stirring I something. <laughs> You're stirring something where I'm like, hmm, what's true? What's true here? There's some, there's nuance that I want to pick at that feels new and fresh. And it's fun, right? It's thrilling. <laughs> And it also feels like the floor is falling out a little, you know, where you're like, oh, ugh, okay. Nope. That's not as stable as I thought it was. Okay. What's underneath that? Mm, I delight. That's exciting. <laughs> yes. I excite. <laughs> I excite. <laughs> um, yeah. That's I, maybe that's why I don't have a definition anymore. Um, I just feel like it's an energy and I, I, you sort of named it. I really like this idea of motion and creation being linked and, and for there to be like a, a fluidity that gets to happen with creativity uh, being an energy, right? Like mm -hmm. as opposed to a thing that you acquire, mm -hmm. it's just an energy that is been a part of you. Yeah. <laughs> and everything. And everything. Because even with what you were saying, okay, you're, you all, apparently this is the podcast episode of Nadia as a 12 and 13 year old. I love this. Another thing that happened to me in middle school <laughs> is I had like a existential crisis that I did not know how to handle or was resourced. Like, and you also named this, like um, just what's, what's in the zeitgeist, what's culturally and it sounds like I have a lot of assumptions here, but it sounds like you grew up in the United States as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So Buffalo, New York. Here in New York? In Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Oh, in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Ah, okay, cool. So uh, very, probably very different than growing up in Miami, but still certain, certain things do apply, right? Certain things do apply being in the U.S. And um, at least at that point in time, I mean, wow, I wish someone had shown me meditation at 12, that would have been really cool for me in that moment because I was stressed about, um, people writing on themselves with pen. Mm. And I was like, do you not understand what atoms are? Do you not understand that we are being called solid, but we're really not like <laughs> welcome oh. to 12 year old Nadia. And I was just like, we're always moving. We're always moving. There's stuff that lives in me all the time. I'm breathing. I'm like air. I'm like a fish. I'm like water. <laughs> <sighs> And I would have these moments and I actually had to start avoiding and ignoring those thoughts because I had no resource to be able to incorporate or integrate them. And so a huge part of my, my um, adulthood has been a remembering aspect. I trust uh, 12 year old Nadia a lot more these days. Same with teenage Nadia. Yo, teenage Nadia knew what was up. Like yes. teenage Nadia had a lot of information about herself. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's that's for sure. That's what I've been discovering. I'm like, well, oh, I didn't even know how much I knew. Mm -hmm. Wow. And um, and I just want to bring that up because, yeah, I just, I don't know. I felt compelled. I am so grateful to hear this and to to one. I uh, oh, I just am so excited to get to know you and be in community with you and relate to you <laughs> because I think there's there's so much uh, alive in those words. I'm really excited to share with you this poem that I wrote about gender. I talk about this experience of the atoms in our skin and like the just there's so much that you said there that feels so alive for me and uh, I 
also thinking about that that age, that tenderness of 12, 13, it feels like a time where conditioning really started to enter in this more stable way where, you know, it's like up to 10 things felt kind of just fluid and, you know, there was certainly condition was present and it also just felt like there was an innocence that was allowed more space and then mm-hmm. hormones or puberty or whatever the can whatever happens in that between like 10 to 13 there there really is this transition, transition there and that period of time was so interesting for me too because yeah so i learned how to meditate but uh another place of similarity for us i grew up on the stage i was a competitive dancer growing up oh. and it was not uh uncommon to picture me on broadway at a certain point in my life mm-hmm. i the year that I I fractured my back when I was 12, that was the year I was supposed to go to New York and start auditioning for professional jobs, and um, which was a stretch because I grew up with a single mother and we were really poor. And so it was, it was a lot to even kind of consider that po- possibility. Um, mm-hmm. And so as that conversation was being had, I fractured my back and my career ended right before it began. And in my rehabilitation process, I got access to opiates. I was starting to process uh, a lot of trauma from my childhood. I lived through a lot of violent sexual trauma as a really young child. And um, so that was all coming up with puberty, with hormone change. Um, And then I also, as part of this rehabilitating the fracture in my back, started going to yoga and getting meditation. So I had an opiate addiction, was processing this really violent trauma, and then also was meditating and doing yoga. So there was this very interesting like duality that was present in a lot of just kind of feeling like an alien. Like in this way, you know, there what I'm feeling the similarity here is that 12-year-old voice that almost feels too wise for 12 and doesn't quite know how to fit into the peer group and is like, but aren't you seeing this other thing? And is like fritzing a little, like mm-hmm. this. This is this is difficult to human, and I just had that, you know, a similar feeling of like kind of feeling like an alien and feeling this multidimensional vision, um, in in from a very different perspective, but in a similar kind of essence there. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that with me. Thank you for sharing too. I love getting to. <laughs> I love getting to meet you now and think about you at 12. I mean, yeah, I feel like funny, I'm getting it? such a story and such a view into your world. Wait, okay, I wanna switch gears for a second. Okay. Oh, and then we'll go back to the violin thing. Okay, um, great. <laughs> Take me on your journey, I'm with you. <laughs> See you now for the ride. Yes. Um, I lost it. Okay, let's take a moment. Everyone, you can just breathe along with us right now. (laughs) We were talking about feeling like an alien, multidimensional reality, being too wise for 12. Wow, this was perfect. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we just needed to have a little breath in there. Yeah. Um, One other thing about me with working with children. Um, So I have a a background now, both as a child who experienced the Montessori method and also Mm -hmm. um, now am an early 
childhood educator, quote unquote, in Montessori. And um, and for those who are not familiar with Montessori, I'm I'm seeing Viana's face, so I'm I'm guessing you are <laughs> <laughs> for like your response. Um, but it's a it's a methodology towards education that was um, spun up by uh, an Italian woman named Maria Montessori, who um, I think I find her to have been very forward thinking for her time Mm -hmm. in many ways, problematic in many ways as well, just to name it, but very Mm -hmm. forward thinking for her time. Um, A medical doctor was interested in relating what she like creating, I guess, conversation and and connective tissue between what she knew as a doctor with um, education of children. And I, I am very biased because like I said, I received this education, this education methodology as a child. So I know what it is to be a, I have one perspective, mm-hmm. right? My own of what it is to be a child receiving that. My mother is a Montessori educator and um, her, she has a business and it is a Montessori preschool and kindergarten in the house. So even when I left the Montessori environment, it was still very integral to my life. Mm-hmm. And then now, um, as familial nepotism will do, um, not not always, but it is what we're up to. Uh, I have realized that there's a lot more. Like I said, my my devotion to creativity. Yes, I have my own projects and and offerings and all that. And like children mm-hmm. are just pure creative beings. They don't have so much stuff to unwind yet. We're actually inserting all the stuff or they're absorbing all the stuff. Montessori would call it the absorbent mind. And so for me now, I'm, I am now an educator and I put it in air quotes because um, something that I actually really appreciated in studying Maria Montessori's words is that um, Montessori would say that teacher is not the correct word to use because there's no teaching. No one can teach. People can only learn and we can guide and we can direct. And so for her, it was directresses or guides, right? Because at that time also like for all, all teachers were women and all these other things, right? Context for that time. But I, I really loved that when I learned that because I was like, that's how I felt as a child. I actually grew up very arrogant thinking, <laughs> my teachers don't teach me anything. I just learn stuff. Wow, I'm so good at learning. <laughs> and um, I really felt this way about myself. My my confidence in terms of my ability to learn was and is still through the roof. That's so and um, there's certain things that are easier for me to reach for and learn to me with my innate gifts and and skills that I've developed over the years. And then there's other things that I'm like, well, I don't even know if I want to learn that because it's going to be so intense. <laughs> the mm-hmm. level of, um, of uh, practice needed for that might not be, I, I might either don't have the capacity or want or, or need to, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can't look at adults now without imagining who they are when they're three to six years old because that's the that's the crew that I work with. That is a and lot. what a lens to have. Mm. 
It's different, right? It it is. It's really different. I I worked with children for a long time. I um, did a lot of nannying and um, Mm. uh, worked a lot with children in their first year of life. That was kind of just happened organically, really. Um, And I have a my toddler will be three on March 18th, so a week from tomorrow. And we've been working with Montessori ideology since they were born. And we use this thing called Monty Kids. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yes, I've seen really ads sweet. for it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So we got these Montessori um, like kits, developmental kits. And we had a friend who worked for the company. So that was kind of our like how we've learned about it three cool. years ago. And so we got all of this Montessori stuff and it was great because we, you know, I'm not an early childhood educator. I have, you know, my experiences um, in supporting children in the world and kind of my lens on wanting to foster autonomous, uh, really supporting and and protecting the autonomy of children. Mm. Uh, But I didn't have any like ideology to follow there. So we would get these kits and they would have toys and then they would have videos and teach us how to introduce them. And it was so radical to really get this lens and and also to revisit, right? Because there's so much of that, the revisiting of what was it like when I was six months old? What was it like when I was a year old? Was I allowed this opportunity to stretch? Because that's that's something I, I think back to the the stages of before Delu was crawling and the Montessori activities then that were like, you put the toy just out of reach. So the child has to work and wiggle a little. And, and like, as the adult in the situation, we're making a conscious decision about that. Um, but, but really we're facilitating, we're just letting them learn like you said like i'm not teaching them how to get to the toy i'm just creating a condition in which they have to be creative in their experience and and figure out how to get the thing that they desire and just applying that to adulthood you know i feel like in those moments i i was not only back at my six-month-old one-year-old three-year-old five-year-old self and that of course is continuing to progress as delu's getting older i'm also thinking about the conditions I create for myself to stretch and and learn just through the condition I'm creating. You know, what is the environment I'm putting myself in and how do I really expand into that? How do I set myself up to think creatively and uh, explore? And, you know, the what I love about that example of the six-month-old too is that they don't know that the toy is outside of what their capacity is supposed to be you know they don't know that like you don't know how to crawl so you you know like the traditional lens is you can't get to this but the reality the actual reality is they manage they will squiggle and squirm it's not crawling and it is movement and they will yeah. get to their objective. They will reach for the thing that they desire and they will figure out how to get it if it's something they really want to go after. How do I do that as an adult? How do I create the condition for that as an adult where I can take the limitation I have and say, well, here's a thing that I don't really know how to do yet, a skill that I haven't attended to yet. uh, And maybe there's conditions that I just need to be patient because that skill is developing. And how can I squiggle and squirm my way to my objective even without the skill? 
And I love that you brought the skill in though, because there's there's that component. F- to me, the skill is taking the creativity, which the create creativity creation for me is the energy. And then the skill is the anchoring that energy into mm. this reality. This is how we bring it out into the world. And sometimes there's a chasm, there's a gap that we have to figure out how to cross. And in that, it's like, it's this Montessori idea, like create the environment so that the the person who is learning can interface with the obstacle that's going to facilitate growth and development so the skill can be attended to. The thing that I like about um, what you're sharing too is I think it, I think it relates back to your, the word autonomy, like you said, because um, I don't, I'm a, I'm a fresh educator. I'm a seasoned Montessori child Mm. um, and a fresh Montessori educator. And so I'm still like learning quite a bit. And I have conversations with my mom a lot about like what I'm observing in the classroom when I'm in the classroom, which is not every day. Um, and, and I'm, I'm grateful to have my mom be my mentor in that's in that way, because she has been able to see children. She's, she's been a Montessori educator for that same age group for many years, but then also first through third grade as well. So wow. in Montessori, we, we do like a mixed age class environments, like learning environments on purpose, right? Because part of learning is also becoming the guide. Mm -hmm. And so the children will share things with one another or we'll just, it, they're, they're amazing. But I, one of the things that, um, with what you were sharing, two things came up for me, which is one, um, do you even really need to are you the one in charge of creating that environment? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe Interesting in some moments, question. it is your responsibility to create that environment for yourself because, and this will go into um, a whole other stem of conversation that I can relate back to the violin <laughs> around um, systems of domination, systems of oppression, the systems that we live in that are keeping us in this like context of, we must be hyper individual lies, days, shin word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, hyper individualism. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think uh-huh. I made that up right now. I'm with I'm it. Sure. Okay. Is it making sense? Like totally. just this idea of like I am singular. I must yes. do it myself in a more community oriented way of living. And um, so that's my first question: is like, are you the one to create that environment? Perhaps in some instances it is yes, because the systems that we live in are operating in a way that. Like you almost have to like either find or create the environment because it's not going to be provided to you. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a possibility. Or perhaps like sometimes I think about my own process of unlearning. And uh, I heard a friend, a friend mentor person <laughs> named Jen Lemon say the term unmapping. And I was like, that's what Ooh, I'm doing. Unmapping. You know? Unmapping. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm, me too. And, and so like, I'm, I'm in it. Like I've been, I've been in it. Some folks started before me. Some folks started after me. Some people have been doing it for, have been in it for generations. Some people are just like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this world right now doing what? Mm-hmm. And some people are still just, you know, uh, oblivious and it's, you know, they're all happening at the same time. I don't know. I can't say I don't judge it. 
because I do, my human self does, mm-hmm. my, my, my cosmic self doesn't. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, and yeah. So there's that question. I have an answer for that, but I want to hear the yeah. other thing you have first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing was, ah, um, one of the things that we're taught in the Montessori training, at least the one I did, <laughs> was like, again, we don't teach a lesson, we present it, mm-hmm. which means we just show it to the child and then we can invite them to do it themselves. But like, and we don't force lessons on children. That's true to a, de- to a degree. Again, living in the here and now mm-hmm. does mean that in some moments we absolutely exert our will. And I, I have so many moments where I'm just like, this is power domination, Nadia. Welcome to my world. Child, it is time for your lesson. Uh, <laughs> Presented in a very different way, but it's yes, a lot. Yes. <laughs> but in my head, I'm like hearing that voice. Oh my God, I love that. I'm just like, that. I am participating fully in your oppression right now. Let's go. It is time for your lesson. Do you want time out? You know, like it's... <laughs> yes. I was just talking with Nick Strack about this, like that it's like the track that runs in the brain, that conditioning. And then you hear it and you're like, what the fuck? I don't even believe that. And then you go like, you got to like work so hard to like trap it before it falls out of your mouth. And you're like, "Ah, no, no, that's not the thing. I don't want to move there. That's but it's there. But it plays. Yeah, it's it's there. there. And I will say there are times where for me it is there. It is present. And it comes out of my mouth. Yeah. And oh, it was same. my decision. I will fully, and I don't parent, I'm not their parent, Yeah. but I, I do have a role and a responsibility around um, caregiving, around, uh, I have a responsibility to the parents as well in that relationship, you know, in that transactional relationship there, yes, there's a lot of room to be relating always. And there's also a transaction that's being an exchange, right? They're mm-hmm. dropping their child off with the intent that when they pick up the child after doing that repeated motion for, you know, a few years, their child will be reading, their child will understand the concept of zero, their child (laughs) will be writing, their child will be writing in cursive, their child will have stories, will understand what an experiment is, you know, like a lot happens between three and six years old. (laughs) It's cool. (laughs) But so, okay, the second, the second thing was a part of, um, I went on the tangent with exerting my will on the, over the child and, and my own personal power <laughs> system of domination within the environment. Yeah. <laughs> I have the bell. I have the tangent. But also, um, at the same time, one of the things that we're meant to be doing as um, Montessorians is be observing with a lot of intention and intent because what might happen is with children in particular, and my invitation is for the adults listening to this to like wonder perhaps in what ways they don't listen to this wisdom that the child has. The child is not, especially at that age, they can't always say, I'm sorry, Miss Nadia, I am not interested in your lesson right now. (laughs) Not because overall I'm not interested in learning, but actually right now my brain is at capacity and I just need to wiggle. Mm-hmm. Or yes. sit down with a book. Yeah. Or talk to my friend. Yeah. Or color something. 
Nick's track you know, and I were like, just, ta- I mean, we were talking about this, the, the, um, well, we were talking about language and how much gets lost in verbal language and the articulation of words and how, uh, you know, I was saying that because I, I don't really experience words in this very linear way. They're, they're really, mm. I have synesthesia, so I'm experiencing them as colors and sounds and lights mm. and they have buoyancy and they're, they move. And so, for me, my experience of language is very uh, visual, and I often struggle for words, and I don't struggle for knowing, you know? <laughs> so so that, and that key, and we were, Nick and I were talking about the the language we have of use your words, and I was saying the, the friction I feel between uh, wanting to teach my child how to communicate in this generative way that will help them navigate society and also how to uh, uphold the beliefs that I have around how I experience language, what I value in communication and how to communicate in non-verbal ways and still find value in that. And it is so much in the observation. And then the feedback loop there as a parent, which of course is different as an educator, uh, and and this is why I feel so grateful for the Montessori educators in my child's life. Their Delu goes to a, a Montessori school. It's right now they're doing like a really really small outdoor program, um, just cool. you know in the pandemic, and they have all you know conditions. And Delu's been getting tested every week, and um, I feel so grateful for that space because it does give a little bit more capacity to this process. Whereas as the parent, when my needs are not met around sleep and uh, you know, whatever other conditions I've been dealing with so much chronic illness in this time since I gave birth and almost died and my body's been in just trying to figure out how to stay human, uh, mm. it, it can be hard to be in the slowness of observing. And there's a lot present in that slowness. Like we We are going to face our own discomfort and our own conditioning and our own lack of competence. This was the thing I said in the episode with Nick was how do I make my lack of competence not my child's problem? <laughs> like that is not their problem. That's not my lack of competence in a moment is not something that I want to put on their plate to deal with. And there's so much in observation that allows me to even recognize when I'm in a moment of incompetence and be like, oh, there's a thing I want to do and I don't know how to do it. And rather than reacting to you with frustration, because really I want to model something for you that I don't know how to model, uh, how do I just like sit back in that and observe my own frustration, acknowledge my frustration, and then attend to it, and then attend to whatever the thing is that's happening. Uh, Just even if it's through that lens of, I don't really know what to do right now. And I'm just going to be here with you in that. Mm. Uh, There's so much that can come alive in observation. And in my experience, it's required um, so much resourcing Mm. and really uh, having the relationship with myself to understand my own needs, my own desires, and where they're met, where there's a gap, where there's friction and how to tend to that without projecting it onto my child. Yeah. That sounds really intense. <laughs> it's so intense. 
<laughs> relentless is the consistent <laughs> word I use. <laughs> relentless. Yeah. Relentless. Constant confrontation. Yeah. And there's beauty in that. And. Yeah. And. <laughs> and. Confrontation. There's confrontation. Um, Do you want to circle back to that first point? Because that wait, question. I have one more thing. Okay, great. Yes. Around the, yeah. Um, and then yes. <laughs> one, shout out to Nick Strack. <laughs> Love you, Nick. <laughs> Love Nick. Um, the thing that I learned to observe and it's tough because okay there's a different nuance that i want to bring into the space because i don't i don't know what it is to be a parent i don't mm -hmm. i know what it is to be the educator i know what it is to be a caregiver it's a different at that age there's a lot of overlap i will say in terms from the child's perspective from what i can tell mm -hmm. the child always know who's who their parent is totally and if they slip up and they call me mom, or usually they don't call me dad, but like, it'll be because they're very little. Yeah. Like this is like a two and a half, you know, and they're practically wiped out. Like it'll be right before they fall asleep or something. And I'm just like, you're confusing me for someone else. Uh, I don't say this. I just pat their back. <laughs> um, yeah. But I know that it's not, it, it's not necessarily, it's a moment of release. It's not necessarily pointed at me because they, they are aware that I, that I care about them, that I love them. Yeah. Um, and they also, for them, there is a distinction. And from the energetic perspective, I feel like I'm, um, I have a, for the majority of the time that I get to interact with these children, they're still very linked energetically to their parents mm -hmm. and especially to their mother who gave them birth, who birthed them, like physically come very energetically linked. There's not, there's like a, a, a different, a very strong enmeshment still. Yeah. And, um, and, and it seems to be by design, you know, like I get it. Um, it's by design. So that's beautiful too. And so, yeah, I just, I think I just wanted to name that, that I'm just listening to you. I mean, I'm assuming it sounded to me like you, you have, there's a lot of judgment some in some moments, but there's also no eh, less so as they get older. Yeah. I don't, it's more just uh, I would say more curiosity than judgment. Mm. It's more of just the, I mean, that observation really does facilitate a lot of curiosity. What's and going on here? one thing that I, I was also getting from what you were saying is, um, yeah, thanks for clarifying that the curiosity versus the judgment um, is the the observing. It sounded like you were talking a lot about observing yourself. Yeah, like in the relationship, you know, thinking mm. of who am I arriving as to this dynamic? Who are you arriving as to this dynamic? What are we creating in the space between us? And kind of the lens that James Olivia has on relationships of all of our relationships live within us. You know, mm -hmm. so I have my relationship with my child that lives within me and they have their relationship with me that lives within them. And then yeah. we're creating this ecosystem between us. Yes. So there's really that for me, it does feel very introspective in, obser in observing how I react to that ecosystem and within that ecosystem and 
watching who they are without me putting myself in whatever, however it may come up, an idea, a belief, a pattern, a choice. Uh, when I bring that to the space, I can see how it moves them in a different direction. And so it's interesting to watch the me in that dynamic, the them in that dynamic, who we are separately and how we are together. There's so much to observe there. And I'm just really, my, my lens throughout parenthood has really been about personal responsibility and bringing it back to myself. How do I, you know, how do I lead with competence and proficiency and uh, support that in you as well? Hmm. This is really cool for me to hear and listen to because from my from my perspective part of the training that i got to receive is like oh here are some overarching things or like that you might observe that is pretty common within certain age you know certain developmental and obviously there's there's variations like we have the we have the generalizations and then and then every child is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was bringing that up, what I was thinking of is like, there might be a moment where, yeah, the child is not able to, you know, super enunciate all that, but they look tired or a little bit bored mm-hmm. or their, their body language is like slouched over or they're, you know, holding their head in a certain way. A lot of it for me is visual, mm-hmm. um, is being able to, to, have visual observations because I, I can look at some nonverbal cues that they might be trying to send my way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a, that's a gentle, like, no thanks. But I'll also say that what's really cool is that they're eager to learn by yeah. and large, you know, yeah. And so a lot of times when I go up to a child and I'm like, I want to show you a lesson. <laughs> let's, let's go look at this lesson. And then I just start walking away. <laughs> the I, I get follows. I yeah. mean, because there's a, there's a few things we, we live within a little bubble, right? So there's a few constructs that we, we've all agreed to, which is like um, the teachers are in charge. Mm-hmm. That's an agreement that we've made with the children that they've made with us back, that the teachers keep us safe, that this little environment is our safe place. Mm-hmm. And we can just focus on our job, quote unquote, which is I'm here to be a child that is learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah. And sometimes I'll say, oh, let's go. I have a lesson to show you. Or do you want to go see this lesson? And they'll be like, no. (laughs) And that's the whole sentence. And I've even um, started because again, Montessori part of what you're supposed to be teaching is like grace and courtesy. And so I started saying no, thank you in the classroom for any time I want to say no, I'm just like, Oh no, thank you. But (laughs) the intonation gets real fun sometimes because I'll still (laughs) let them know what I'm thinking. (laughs) Like, no, thank you. (laughs) Oh, I love that. 
That's amazing. But they, they learn it. They learn it. And so my mom was telling me the other day that she's been hearing children tell each other, no, thank you. (laughs) Cause, oh, and for, because we are just to, for context of the moment in time or about 12 months into pandemic life. um, And this can maybe go, this might be a link for us to walk across the bridge back to that first question. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I saw my mom make as a business owner, business person, um, that surprised me that I was like, oh, um, she's different. Mm. I, I forget sometimes because we've been living in the U.S. for such a long time and context, cultural context time now. My mother is f- from Morocco. My father is from Colombia. And um, and we, I was born in the U.S., but left and then came back very young. Um, by like three and a half, we were settled in Miami. Wow. And, um, and, and we've been here since I have left, they have not, and I've come back. Um, and so there are in, in my family history and in my own lived experience, there's been a lot of, um, assimilation that's gotten to happen that has been, very good to us in terms of economic status, in terms of privilege in that way in Miami. I will also say being in Miami provides a different kind of experience. The U.S. is still very present in its culture and Miami is very, um, I th- I want to say the numbers are still over 70% foreign, foreign born. So we're, wow. we're a transient city and an immigrant city by and large. And I think that in a lot of Latin America um, exists and the you know Latin America, the Caribbean, mm-hmm. are is it is present, very very present here. Mm. So, in this context, I hold a lot of privilege because I pass as fully Latinx, Latin. I don't know what the word is to be honest anymore. What's the word that you resonate with? I don't. Um, yeah, like for me, it feels really neutral, and it's kind of like when people ask me. <laughs> another tangent to the tangent. When people ask me how to pronounce my name, uh-huh. I, I don't quite care. My parents both say it a little bit differently. Oh, that's, that's and beautiful. so they're like, oh, is it Nadia? I'm like, I always have taken it as I know where I am based on how someone's saying my first name. Oh, And so in, in the United States, yeah, it's Nadia. <laughs> how, Nadia. What are the other pronunciations you receive? I mean, in my family, we speak a lot of French. Uh-huh. And so... In France, French French uh, people or French speakers will say Nadia. Uh-huh. So it sounds different than Nadia. Yeah. And then in, in Spanish, people will say Nadia, uh-huh. which is different than the D. other two. Yeah. yeah. Hola, Nadia. And um, I will mm-hmm. attempt to say it the way my mom says it. That's Moroccan, which I don't have. I don't have those muscles in my mouth well mm-hmm. done. But um, it'd be like Nadia or something similar to it. So it really just, there's like little, and I love it. I love it because for me, it feels very much like a conversation with the planet because I get to just be like, how do you say my name? (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for, for saying my name. Like, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for people having a specific way in which they want to say their name too. Just for me in particular, I think just with the the softness. And I grew up in a very gentle environment. Mm. 
And so like with the softness of like my parents being from having certain cultural values that were in parallel, but like still very different from one another, Mm -hmm. not just personality wise, but just literally growing up on different sides of the world. Um, there's a lot of room for there not being one way. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge tangent. I loved that tangent so <laughs> much. I loved it so much. I also have a desire to speak French with you, but that's maybe another day. Je parle un petit français, mais maintenant mon français est très mauvais. Merde. C'est merde. Is cursing allowed on this podcast in any language? <laughs> Abso-fucking-lutely. <laughs> <laughs> I Yo, love swearing. <laughs> really? Okay, I hold love on. swearing. <laughs> okay, I have a question for you. Would you, how do you feel about your child's educator? You said their name is Delu? Delu, yeah. Swearing in front, in front of them. Oh, yeah, we don't, we don't have that, um, words are that like swear words are bad. We have that there is language that is harmful and violent to people. And it's really important to be aware of the context in which you're speaking. And that there that the words that we never say are not fuck. It's words that will hurt people that are violent to people that have a history of violence. And the word fuck doesn't have that For me, that Mm. word is so pleasurable and (laughs) I love like, yeah, I love swearing and that's the culture we're bringing is, you know, you, there may be a difference with your classmates and there may be a difference in their family cultures and it's important to respect that difference. And when you are home, you can use whatever words you have at your disposal to express yourself as long as they're not bringing harm to another person. Mm. So yeah, I don't, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't care if any other adult said fuck in front of Daylu or, or shit or whatever it is like Mm -hmm. that doesn't. Yeah. A funny thing that happened to me growing up is like, I was very aware of what the swear words were in English because those were off limits, right? Because we were in the United States However, Ooh. I definitely learned all the French ones thinking they were part of regular French <laughs> and um, like legit thinking that it was just a regular thing to say when you're driving, right? Like, <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, Miami is a driving city, like to get around easily. People usually the, like having a car is very helpful here. Yeah. And, um, and it was, it was, it was made to be that way. Like it's very sprawled out and yeah. And so I remember going to like, I was in a, a um, a, like a program in my high school and actually from elementary on that was like supposed to be for multiple languages. Right. And so oh, that's amazing. My my yeah no it was interesting because I had to get tested for English as a second language, which I remember looking like incredulously at the person. I'm like, but it's not my second. La- I mean, I guess it is. And they and they explained to me, well, because it okay more context. I was in a private school where my mom worked, and that was the that that school that Montessori school was. Um, allowing basically anyone who was on the staff, their child or their children could go uh, free of tuition. They could also attend the school. Right. And that was like, they, I don't think they have 
I'm not going to name the school. I don't think they have that in place anymore. (laughs) But like at that time, that was what they had. So when my mom decided to leave the school and quit her job to start her own thing, um, that's when I first went into the public school system in Miami. And, um, you know, one of the perks, I think, I don't, I actually, I'm going to make a mental note to ask her about this, but I don't know how they learned about like these programs in the public school system, because so much of us all as a family, like navigating the school system in the U S was like, I don't know. (laughs) Wow. How old were you when that was happening? Huh? How old were you when that was happening? What? When you were transitioning from the private school to public 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a significant point in the, you've got, you had a significant amount of Montessori and Oh Yeah. Even to this day, I'm in this moment, I'm uh, at age 36 and there's, um, there are people who are still able to peg me as a Montessori child. And they're just like, of course you were in Montessori. Oh my gosh. I'm like, you don't even know when I left, I was still part of my life. (laughs) Like now, now even more so, but from the other, from the other side where they're looking at me like Miss Nadia, (laughs) I'm like, hello child. <laughs> oh, I love but, um, that. Wait. Where were we? Poof. Poof. Wait. You want to go back, back though? Yeah, but I also want to hear the thing that you were saying. I, it's always fascinating uh, to me oh, when we both poof. About, <laughs> asking me about English as a second language. Yes. I was very confused by that. And it turned out that, like, since it was the first time I was enrolling in a public school, yeah. they asked what was a primary language at home. And my mom put down French because we, we do speak French to one another. Now we speak English a lot more to one another. Um, but at that point in time, my parents had made a decision to, um, to have one language in the household because otherwise it would be three. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I, the two of them. and then the fourth one being English in the, in the United States. Wow. So one of my life visions is to speak many languages and to speak them fluently. I've bounced between languages. I spoke Italian when I was really young, and then I spoke French when I was in high school. I'm learning Sicilian now, which is not a dialect. It's it's a whole, like, our, my ancestry across the board comes from the island of Sicily. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of nuance and distinction there. Like today we're considered Italians. That's only been since the 1850s. That's the result of colonization. We have a 3000 year history of colonization on that island. And we have a far, a a much more ancient history prior to that. So, you know, I, I, that island is my anchor in the world and our language shows the imprint of colonization. And so I, I really fascinate over uh, our language is it's an endangered language now. So I'm really working to like pick up threads. I'm, I just started a Sicilian class actually this weekend. Um, and yeah, I have a deep desire to speak many languages fluently because I think there's just, we can understand people so differently when we understand their language and the 
there's something to me in in many ways in the way that language where it sits in the body where it sits in the mouth um the the way that we communicate with our body or without our body in that the words that we have that are untranslatable in languages like in italian we have scarpetta which is when you take the heel of your bread and you scoop up the sauce that's remaining on your plate that's scarpetta fare la scarpetta and that to me is like don't you just feel who, who like what the culture is you feel the people in that you feel the the moment of pause the moment of appreciation the effort that goes into making that meal that the savoring of a dish and and how you know every language has their their words that aren't translatable that speak to just place and time and culture and so i i really fascinate over language and i salivate when i meet people who have been raised in environments where they've gotten access to multiple languages from a young age i still feel like i'm struggling and you know i i know the day will come and i think it's really just when i'm in those environments like we were in italy in 2019 and then we were in copenhagen after that and you know danish is well that's like so far outside of <laughs> what lens I've had on language up to that point but just being in that environment and getting to practice and getting to interface and relate to people there's so much opportunity to learn language that way so I trust the day will come when I will meet this vision for my life uh, but I really just I I oh there's like a part of me that melts when I hear that people were raised in homes where multiple languages were just the norm and i have so many questions and so many desires to just like pick and pick and pick at that one part of who you are <laughs> it's a creative expression right yes. like to bring it back to creativity and what you were saying and um just this that's that is creativity in motion mm -hmm. is this like expression that is being co-created at all times because language is alive anyway. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And what you were saying too around, you know, I had, I had moments as you were speaking of my own, my own heartbreak and heartache mm -hmm. because I, in my unlearning um, and remembering process um, around liberation, liberatory practice, praxis, practice, practice, I'm still learning that word praxis. I like that word a lot. What's your definition of that? I don't have one. I'm just recognizing as you say it in this moment, oh, I've heard that recently. It's an interesting bubble. I want to poke mm -hmm. my head into that universe and I don't have a, a relationship to it yet. Right now my relationship to that word is like it's practice and because I, I can understand practice. Yeah. I'm like, oh, praxis is practice. <laughs> Like I'm like, I can hit, I can hold that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, but um, something that the, the heartache comes from. So French is my next language after English. English became my dominant language fully. So here I, I, I sit before you fully assimilated in that way. Right. Because I've got nothing to do with that language historically speaking mm -hmm. makes no sense 
Um, mm. However, my personal history makes all the sense. I ended up here. I was born in New York City and raised in Miami, which as much as the rest of the United States sometimes doesn't want to admit, is still part of, it's still in the in the fold, right? It's still in the fold of being in the US. And, um, and so I'm like, okay, that is one colonizer's language. Great. Mm-hmm. Then I look to my dad's side of the family, my Colombian side, and my Spanish is all right. It's okay. I'm learning more. And I'm like, Spanish. Well, if I'm just gauging by what I see from the little photos that we have, I'll say we got some Spain going on. Cool. So that is some of my ancestors' language. And who else got lost? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know them. I see it in photos. And I'm like, it's not that far away. Mm-hmm. I don't know who you are. I don't know your language. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you felt or what you believed in because I don't have access to that language. Mm-hmm. It's gone. Yeah. Maybe not gone at all together. It is in this moment, it is gone for me. Yeah. My heart breaks and my heart aches. I look at my mom's side of the family, my Moroccan side, and I like it brings me not in this moment, but in some moments, it brings me so much sadness because it's the same story, mm-hmm. but different. Mm-hmm. So And then I look at the decision that my parents made together. So in Morocco, you have Arabic as one of the primary languages. But um, there's the Amazigh people, also known as Berber people. And there's a language. There are many languages, actually. But they they can, kind of like how French and Spanish, this is my understanding, like how French and Spanish, like if you know one, you can kind of get the other. Mm -hmm. From my understanding, it can go like that across different, uh, areas of Morocco. And they're like, I can see in my own family history, the same thing that I see in Colombia on the Colombian side, like, yes, it's possible just from DNA expression, gene expression, just by, and we don't have, we really don't have much to go on there mm-hmm. um, in terms of like uh, record keeping. Mm-hmm. It's possible that we have Arab, like like traditional from the Middle East, these people in our lineage. And what's much more present in everyone's faces is a mixture of Amazigh and the rest of Africa, <laughs> probably some Mediterranean, mm-hmm. some European, but basically of that region mm-hmm. of Northern Africa. And I'm just like, that's lost too. Yeah. My uncles and I communicate in a broken French. It's the colonizer's language again. And then when my parents got together, my mom learned Spanish. My dad never learned Arabic or Moroccan dialect. I don't know if uh, Derija would be, I don't know if it's a language or a dialect. I don't know that distinction. But um, they made the decision to have French be the primary language of the house because they felt it was going to be easier for me and my sibling to survive with the French language, wow. more countries speak there. Nadia and their sibling is going to learn. They're going to learn English at school. That's covered out of all, out of the ones that we have. Cause another decision is like, they could have thrown everything at us and see, you know, there's a lot of options, right? There's a yeah. lot of choices. 
and they chose what is going to allow them to survive. Yeah. I think French will allow them to survive. French has allowed us to survive. Yeah. And therefore. So I I just want to name that, like that that dual feeling of like, ah, I'm so appreciating your love of language. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about learning Sicilian, my heart just burst in so many different ways of joy and of grief at the same time. Yeah. It's like the celebration of our resilience and the mourning of all that we have lost and all of the unanswered, the grieving at the unanswered questions, the untold stories the stories that have been silenced and how do we, um, I, I'm thinking of a story as a living being right now. And in some regard, there's no way to uh, bring that being back to life once it's been killed. Mm-hmm. And there is still an echo mm-hmm. because nothing is wasted you know, in, in creation, like the reverberation of that continues on. And this, for me, this, I work with ochre and, uh, I work with earth pigments. I, you know, harvest pigment and make paint from it. And for me, that's a process of communicating with my ancestors before colonization. We have 20,000 year old cave paintings on the Island, the volcano, like the minerals of our Island are so rich uh, because of the volcano. And, and of course, I mean, that's kind of common for islands, just the, the richness of the soil and the minerals. Yeah. And, um, I, I reach through time there, you know, to, to, to hear what can't be spoken, to remember what's been forgotten, to listen, to see, to witness, to remember, and, uh, to do my best to synthesize that which my brain will never know, but my body knows, my energy knows, my spirit knows, um, my my consciousness knows, both the the way that I'm inhabiting this body that is of that land, that the way that my essential being is plugging into the DNA that originates in that place, that has roots in that soil. And also as the essential being that's part of this cosmic sea that has roots in creation that that is non-human, you know, that I, I have this image of my body being like a pinch pot of the earth and my soul being this little kind of cosmic drip <laughs> that just comes in for a moment and then splashes back into the sea. Um, and that there's so much in that. There's so much in the remembering of deep time and how to traverse it and how to grieve it. And I feel like I grieve for my ancestors, for what we lost through time and just a little more context for my cultural identity. Um, My, and, and this I hold loosely because we we've lost so many stories. Um, And I, to my knowledge, I'm one of the first people in my family to really, really pick up, not just, who our family tree is, but what our history is as Sicilians, um, and really like investing in learning the language of the island and and the history of the island and understanding who we are in context to our history. Um, so the theories that I know of are that the indigenous people of the island migrated inland when the first waves of colonization were happening, um, and 
two of my ancestral villages come from almost dead center in the island. My father's mother's side and my mother's father's side are both from the same place. Wow. Um, even though they met here in the States, which I find really wow. interesting. Yeah. Mm, so my brain went straight to frequency, <laughs> resonance, harmony. Exactly. Exactly. Vibration. That, like, whoa. whoa, how is that? Like, how, whoa. <laughs> Especially yeah. because it wasn't, it wasn't even my grandparents that came over. It was my great grandparents that came over on both sides. So we're wow. talking, my parents were second generation. And they both have blood that originates in the same small little village, small little community in the middle of the small little island that they're thousands of miles away from. I, fasc I fascinate over that. That's my definition of creativity. Yes. <laughs> it's like the synchronicities of life there. You can't even, so, you, how do you trace that? You, I can't process beyond. that. No, it's beyond. It's totally beyond. <laughs> And genetically looking at my genetic information, which also I hold loosely, right? Because it's like we take the alphabet of our father and the alphabet of our mother, or the alphabet of each of our parents, however they identify, and then we get half of each of them. So there's so much lost, right, in each generation in our genetic presentation. But what I have in my blood that presents is that um, almost half of my blood originates on the island of Sicily. And about a quarter is a split between uh, North Africa and the Middle East. And then I have these really small bits of Southern Mediterranean, um, Spanish and, and uh, Greek and all of that. And, and they're so small that to me, it's like, oh, that's probably rape because colonization, because I understand the historical context of the island. Uh, but all of that's to say, like when I look at who my ancestors were, very likely were indigenous Sicilians. Uh, I, I likely had a fair amount of Arab ancestors when, when the island was under Arab rule and, um, and then had probably a, a large history of rape. Given my personal relationship to incestuous rape, I wouldn't be surprised if that, you know, right. if that's a thread that originated with the violence of colonization. But as that presents in our language, you know, what we have, who, when we look at the indigenous people of Sicily, the only word we have is what came through the colonizers. We have no record of how we self-identified before we were colonized. We have no record of what language we spoke, what we called ourselves. Um, and I hold that with, does it matter you know, there's, it, it's been so long. I grieve, I grieve deeply. Yeah. I grieve and I listen and I know the relationship that those ancestors had to the land before they were colonized is a relationship I can cultivate today through listening, through presence, through the relationship with my creativity through the trust that I can synthesize this information through my being in the same way that they did. And how did they do it, right? I only have a, an idea of how they did it. I don't have the knowing, I don't have the story, I don't have the lesson that they can teach me, but I perceive that they listened to the land, they communed with the land, they trusted the land, they worked with what was offered. They were in relationship to the volcano, to the ocean, 
to the animals, the trees, the soil, the minerals. I can do all of those things today. So I lose, I grieve the loss of our language. I grieve the loss of identity. I grieve that what we have today as Sicilians is this uh, assimilation into Italian culture, the uh, assimilation into our perception. Like I almost, you know, I just, I feel like the, you know, our identity almost has been through this lens of like the mafia and, and, um, mm. you know, that, that, and, and, and what that's done to the island, it's really decimated mm. so much on the island. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of contention and confusion about what to access in what we have as our recorded history. And I just hold it all really loosely that there's so much paradox present in the grief and the celebration of like, wow, here I am in this moment with the blood that I have, with the history that we have as an island, as a family. And I exist. I don't know their stories. I don't know their language. I don't know. I don't know so much. And I know that I exist. I know that I am the reverberation of their choices and decisions. I know that I am the living will of their resilience. And there's so much power in that. And however it fits into today's world, that feels like the opportunity for me to choose. Like, so actually this is looping me back to your question because it do we can do we create the conditions? Do we need to create the conditions? To me, it's maybe not so much about creating the conditions, but being in relationship with responsibility and what I'm choosing to pick up. You know, so if responsibility is my ability to respond, I'm not gonna I and this is language from James Olivia, like we don't pick up all of the responsibility that we're offered. It's also unrealistic to do that. But I get to choose. I get to select what it is that I want to pick up, what I want to go after. And in that, I am deciding what the condition is. I'm prioritizing something about what I desire and what I need. And I'm creating my life in relationship to those things, to that perspective to that set of values and ethics also that's in the mix for me with my needs and desires. And even though I, there's so much out of my control in terms of how the condition of the environment is placed in my life, there is also so much that I have the ability to respond to and choose to be in relationship with or not. And so for me, it's more about that. It's more about the conscious interfacing with the trade-offs of my decisions and perspective and choosing how am I relating to this thing that's happening and do I want to relate to it in the first place? That feels more like the kind of, uh, that feels like maturing for me. Mm. It feels like, you know, this kind of growing up that's happening is being in dialogue with that. That was delicious. <laughs> Thanks for listening to <laughs> all of that. that. I was like, I was, I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> Something with what you just shared also brings up for me, like, 
looping, looping, looping back to that trust word that you use. And um, one, one thing I wanted to play with with you around the environment, like do we create the environment or is the environment presented to us and something else or someone else is in charge of creating it? And I is like, wow, okay. I'm about to do a little monologue here. Yes. There is a flower in my room. It is a white lily in full bloom. And here the sun is setting and there's just golden light hitting the edges of the petals just perfectly. Like, I don't know how else to say it. It's just perfect. And it just, it was, it was stunning. And I had to pause. <laughs> I relish and re- in that. relay the information. <laughs> I, oh, I'm swimming in that vision. <laughs> and it was for a moment. The sun has, you know, like the clouds have changed. They've shifted. And I got to see that miracle. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Mm. Thank you for taking yeah. a moment to pause and bring that to us all. <laughs> uh Oh, um, so talking yeah. about creating the conditions, <laughs> there, there, well, oh, uh, there it was. <laughs> the or, thing happened, and you related. They're going to come to me. Yeah, that they're going to present themselves to me. And I, I, I love this. For me, I think a lot about um, the the relationship between free will and sort of, sort of like this mektub, like the destiny idea, destiny timeline, destiny. Just like it's been written, fate. That's the word. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't, it's going to come. It's going to come. <laughs> fate the free will fate conversation and I have a very strong like I love that paradox I live into it like I find it really yummy um and 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 I like having both available to me as I experience my life and that for me like I have this understanding of the creative process or like the phases of creativity one of them is sharing for me Mm. and um and so because to me like whether it's that we've created a thing and now we present the thing to the world or to a friend or to a beloved one or whatever mm-hmm. um, that it's, or, or even if it's, I've created this thing and now I will share it with myself even like a meal can be that way for me. I live mm. alone. And so my, sometimes my creative expression is like time for me to, I, I, do a lot of, I'm an omnivore. So I do a lot of prayer and gracious. Thank you. Whenever I like right now, I'm, I'm actually, as we speak, there's a chicken in a slow cooker. Mm-hmm. I like to buy the whole animal so I can really be with it. And, um, and so I'm just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and I'm just sort of in that mode as I'm putting together the environment, understanding the sacrifice that this being had to go through in order for me to survive and live, right? All these little things. And then I afterwards, I'll get to share that creation with me. Mm-hmm. You know, in this moment, I had the 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 gift of getting to relay to you my experience of that miraculous moment of the sun hitting the flower petals in what I consider just the right way, right? Mm-hmm. And so, whether you like flowers as much as I do or not, you might hear that that relationship that I just got to have with the sun, with the clouds, with the flower, with the vase holding the flower, with you and anyone else who's 
made it this far. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. So an aspect of that is also trusting that the, the right environment for exactly the capacity that I have that like, you know, like what you were saying about when Delu was real little, real little, and you're still probably playing that game with them still of like just out of reach. And then a little bit of like, you know, in some moments they, Montessori says you're not supposed to say you can do it or good job or anything like that. <laughs> I don't uh, have that. I don't agree with everything Montessori yeah. says. I don't so have that. Me, I tell my kid, I, great job. I, uh, no, <laughs> I say I, I'm proud I, of you. <laughs> and how do you feel? <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I try to lead with that. I usually, cause I think it is important to, for me as in that educational environment, one of the seeds that I want to plant is that like self-reflection Mm-hmm. Um, and that's me up to my own shenanigans, right? Like that has nothing to do with my story. Like yeah. I took, <laughs> I took that information. And I was like, I want to do it like this. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> this is what I want. Yes. I want, I desire, mm-hmm. <laughs> I influence. Yes. <laughs> I plant seeds and, um, <laughs> I relish, I savor, um, I delight. The, 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 my professional background is in advertising. And so I, I like tell people and marketing. So that's what I worked in real creativity for capitalism through and through and through and through. And I, I loved that job because I was like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. And as I started unlearning, um, first through, first through something that led me to desiring to study yoga, actually like to study yoga. Um, not cause I wanted to do a handstand, but like I did a traditional teacher training. I didn't, my delight is not so much in the physical body for that. I, I, I enjoy yoga. I'm grateful for it, mm-hmm. but I also love me like, swinging around some weights. <laughs> <sighs> I'm with I'm you. Like, ah! <laughs> there's, there's a power that I've been getting lately from being in, in back more of a like workout mode rather than <laughs> yoga. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm starting to explore for myself, cause I burst into tears every time, um, is moving my body in dance. And Ooh. that's something that, I mean, you have a, you have a relationship. My relationship feels very new because I'm willing now. Hmm. And I'm just like, wow, I've not, I've, I've not wanted to, I've been, I've been, I was going to say hesitant, but no, it's, it's stronger than that. Whatever's stronger than hesitation. Avoidance. I've been that. Uh, I don't know if I would say totally avoid because again, I present in Miami as fully um, Latin. Mm -hmm. And so part of what comes with that cultural package is like, you know, merengue, salsa, you know, it's just part of what happens here. Yeah, totally. Especially if you're family oriented. I I am that I'm I'm very oriented towards my family and, uh, and therefore also people who I'm in deep relationship with, like, their families too. So like, if there's an event and like, so-and-so's Cuban, like someone's going to put on salsa music and suddenly you're dancing with an abuelito, like, you know, it's just part of the, it's part of the mix. Um, so I wouldn't say completely like that, but I have had a lot of like judgment around, um, allowing my body to move in a sensual manner for only me. Mm Mm-hmm right? Not in partnership with someone else because it's salsa music or merengue, um, but especially just for myself. And I think that comes from like the Moroccan cultural imprint of like Mm. more of like the Muslim um, 
perspective and again, more context. I, I was not raised with any religion. That was a decision my parents made. And so for that, I, I have a, a different lens. So I, I, I'm not going to speak too much to that, but that's my impression that that's part of how Islam made its way through culturally into my life still, because my mom is Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a lot of, you know, um, being modest, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, be modest. And there's a, there's a beauty to modesty that I adore. And dancing for myself is no longer one of them. <laughs> I'm like, that's not, that's not it. That's, I burst into tears mm. when I start moving my body just for me. Wow. creative expression that, you know, yeah. so that's where that's an, maybe an example of like, that's the trust. Yeah. I trust that like, I didn't have necessarily the capacity and now I have the space. Like I'm in physically in an environment where I have the space. Um, I am, like I said, I'm alone in my environment. And so I can put on some music or a YouTube video of someone instructing me. <laughs> like I love those or um, I'm actually, um, in this point, I'm going to uh, name a school that I'm part of this membership called New Earth Mystery School Ooh. by, um, I actually don't know how they, how they identify, but this beautiful being named Mariam Hasna, I'll send you a link too. I love that. But one, one aspect of what you get from being a member of that program, like it's a subscription style model, um, which I really like, is uh, once a month there's... I'm going to do another name plug, actually. Do it. Uh, an amazing it. dance instructor um, named Yeni Lucero. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I want to say that their name because I'm pretty sure she does, like, it's not just New Earth Mystery School. That's how I know her work, right? So uh-huh. once a month, she teaches a dance class and I get access to the recordings as, you know, as part of my membership. And I've done, and it's, um, it's, a, a lot of her dance experience has to do with um, like African dance Amazing. and, you know, and so there's a lot of spirituality incorporated and there's something in me that comes alive um, when I, when I get to do that for my, and that's where I've just, that's very, really vulnerable for me to share. Actually. I'm like feeling my heart, mm. <laughs> but yeah. So sometimes I feel like, this is where I see art making too. Like that, that whole conversation about skill versus just creating mm-hmm. um, or creating with skill, which is a desire that we might have for certain things. Um, in that case, I don't have a desire to become a professional dancer, mm-hmm. but there is a desire in me and an ability for me to see how my body can move specifically with combining this like, um, lens of mostly western western african coast yeah and the cultures the like richness of the cultures that are there and i'm grateful for yenny because she brings in a lot of the history too like okay we're gonna do this move it's from here this is it you know and she brings up who she learned it from she gives a lot of context so that allows me to interact with the information of me how i move my body and maybe graciously, maybe not. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like how I move my body in that moment. And it, I just, um, something else is up, you know, like my, mm-hmm. like 
my creative expression gets expanded. I tap into my creative being, like being creative. Mm. And I get to trust that I'm reaching for something and and that someone or something has made the exact right conditions for me to go for after it, right? And now you've made the choice to go after it in that condition. I, mm-hmm. I, I, okay, I'm swimming. I'm swimming right now in your words. Like they're a whole ocean around me and there's so much percolating. Yeah. Like, oh, so one of the things that I went with you on was this, um, the, the, what, what I'm seeing is two DNA strands coming together and the mm-hmm. like expression of that Latin movement. And also like I've done a little salsa and I've done, I've, I've, as I was healing and couldn't go back to competitive dance, I worked my way through a lot of other styles of dance and just would take classes and kind of explore and just to keep my body moving and communicating in that, that language of, of dance. Um, and so I know that like, it's so rooted, it's so grounded, it's, it's so sensual and it's relational, but in the relationship, like my experience of a lot of partner dancing is that it's relational to the self first and foremost, because it is built by trust. Like you got to have that relationship with your partner to be able to trust. And okay, I could go off on a whole tangent there. But anyways, so I'm hearing this, um, this kind of merging and the, the, it sounds like you're synthesizing some of the contention between these two vastly different perspectives, which to me, I feel in this reality, paradox is where we see truth. When these two opposing ideas that feel like there's no way they could both coexist, do in fact coexist. And in in the space between how they're coexisting, to me, I see the window into truth. Mm. And I'm hearing that, like the synth and how dance is the mechanism through which you're synthesizing the friction and finding harmony. And it's it feels creative to me in this multidimensional way that not only is it a creative act, but it, it's also uh, it's a it's healing. Like I'm I'm I have a visual right now of your DNA coming together, and something new is being synthesized in your genetic composition and that act of creation, the evolution happening in that choice mm. and the reverberation you're creating forward through that, the mending is really beautiful. And I have more things to dig out around how I define creativity. <laughs> you know, just like you brought up sharing, that feels really important for me. And also this aspect of, I mean, deep time is a phrase I use a lot. And for me, mm. creativity is this portal into time and and how, you know, how we experience this multidimensional reality in this moment. And there's just so much here alive. And I'm also seeing the time. And I'm wondering if, you, do you have a hard out? I don't have a hard out. Okay. <laughs> we could go a little more if you if you have 
Okay, I um I do have it. I have a little bit more time. I also have these, I have a few, like one of the questions that I normally ask yes. is what does creativity mean to you? And so I feel like that's what this whole episode has been. So that one we don't need to answer. And the other ones. No, actually, you know, what I can share is um, I can share like, I, the, the little, the stages that I've come up with for myself in terms of how I interact with the creative process. I would love that. So the one that I, that I like to start, we'll, we'll start with sharing actually, but I usually end with that one. Cause I think it makes the most, it works most linearly in this way for folks to follow, but let's, let's mix it up. Maybe it's a circle so sharing, today. <laughs> yeah. I, I see it as a cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just name that first. It's very circular for me. So, and I also see that um, for me, I, I, I feel and live that you can be in multiple uh, stages or phases at the same time in different aspects of mm. your creative life, right? So we, we are all of them all at the same time. And I've, I've noticed that there's like a cadence to it. Mm. And um, or yeah, those are my observations. So sharing is important in, for the reasons why I I shared, <laughs> right? And it is a part of understanding that we are part of the ecology, eco ecosystem, there we go, of the, of the interconnectedness of all things, mm -hmm. right? And so by creating, we share it. And then some of us might have, like you and I in particular, a desire to share in a more public way or to share even for me, um, and I think for you as well, correct me if I'm wrong, but sharing in a way that it is also part of how we live in, in capitalism, like how we live in these systems. And we're, we mm -hmm. literally made it into a business. Like that's, yeah. that's to, you know, so there's that aspect of sharing to like, they all fall under that for me. Yeah. Once you've shared something to, I don't know how much of it belongs to me anymore. It is now out there. And mm -hmm. therefore the next stage for me is destruction. Because it's got its own thing going on now mm -hmm. with some whoever or whatever. Either I ate the chicken or I ate the salad or, you know, someone bought the print or joined a workshop, whatever, <laughs> or bought the original art piece, whatever it might be. That's out. It has its own frequency now. It's doing its own. It's alive. And for me, what I'm left with is destruction. And so then time to break it all down. And sometimes it might even be like, if you're sharing something for yourself, like say you made a, an art piece um, or you made a dance and you've, you complete it. Mm -hmm. It's done. It's dead now into in a way mm -hmm. destruction. Mm -hmm. Destruction is necessary. Um, and it is, I would say uncomfortable most of the time for most of us. Um, and it's, it's, it's the only way that there can be the next stage, which is, um, incubation mm. time where we don't quite, it's that liminal space where you're not quite this, or you're not quite that. Mm -hmm. My experience is that this phase of creativity is really tough on our conditioning in these systems of oppression especially in capitalism, global capitalism, because we're, we're being told, like, if you're not being productive mm -hmm. in an outward way that can be measured and managed, then what are you? Mm -hmm. You are nothing. 
And that's because it's the phase that's actually that you are nothing. And that's the whole point. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you are the little seed that's underneath the ground. You are resting. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like, I see fine artists actually embrace this. Like in, even in the traditional, like art, fine art industry, I've noticed that like, someone will come up with a show and then be quiet for a couple of years. And it's because there's a time, like you just output a bunch, you got you got rid of it, right? Hopefully everything's sold, right? You retire it. And then you're just like, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Time to stop. Yeah. <laughs> Incubation. Then you move into ideation because all that stuff that's been happening while you've been resting that you're not aware of, that you've been like judging yourself. I speak for me. Let me not you, <laughs> let me not at you like this so much. Like all this time that I've been like doing this and being like, how come I'm not doing enough? And like all this, you know, going back and, oh wait, but I'm in incubation. Oh no, but I'm not doing enough. Like that whole dance that I've been up to during my incubation time, at some point something shifts and I've just like received enough from the world, from the internet, from the energy, from myself. Like I've read Regenerate, regenerated mm-hmm. to a point that I'm like, oh, I have ideas now. Mm-hmm. I have ideas now. I don't quite know. Ideation is more this time where you might not really know. It feels a little overwhelming in a different way where you're just like so many ideas. I don't really know what to do with them. Why are all these ideas coming my way? What am I doing with my life? Like that, it can feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then creation. Mm-hmm. Creation is a part, like one moment to me of the experience of being in all the phases of creativity. And so creation is like, oh, I like that idea. Let me go after it. Mm-hmm. Let me make something. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry. My idea is that I'm hungry. Let me make some meal. <laughs> Let me make some food. Or I have an idea around, I want to explore collage, um, a spirituality and systems of domination. Okay. Creation time right? Make some, you're making something, something that was not there before you follow through on that idea. And now something's been made. Then you go back to sharing. Wow. I salivate (laughs) over this. That's my understanding of creativity. I adore this visual cycle. I'm going to chew on it. I'm curious to poke at language and distinction in language and see if I have the same language or differences for the language, but there's so much resonance in just at the surface of what you presented there. And I mean, this podcast is the result of this exactly for me, starting with death and destruction I mean, literally almost physically dying after I gave birth. The last three years have been this process of destruction. The last Mm. uh, eight months, six months have been this liminal soup-like period. And I've even been saying on the show and episodes before this one, like, you are, I am still soup. I am still liquid. You are going to watch me throughout this show gather form and return to some more solid state that may return to liquid. But in this moment, I am liquid and I am slowly gathering form. So I'm in between that liminal ideation 
phase. And the podcast is the birthing of this process, which I'm still metabolizing. I'm putting this show out, but I feel like I'm speaking from within the cocoon. Like, hey, here I am within my liquid state and I'm sharing it and I'm creating it. And also I'm still like you spoke to, like we're in these moments. It's not this linear, okay, I've checked off this stage and now it's here. It's just that they, they're overlapping. They're, they're so fluid. It's like an ocean of the cycle. And uh, I, I am just in that with you. And this show is a manifestation of that process that you just outlined. Like stunning, stunning. I, I feel I just want to say I'm really honored in a different, in a whole other way right now to be chatting with you for the first time um, because this is a really precious moment. Like I have, I'm like feeling really moved right now of, of you inviting me in essentially a stranger. I mean, we have re- referrals we trust, right? Yeah. Um, so there's that this, and the same, the same one. Um, so there, there is that we're coming into the space together with that sense, but for you to just name like that, that liquid and, um, the willingness to take form and be, um, open or closed, like up to you. Right. But like the fact that you're greeting me in this moment, I'm just, I'm honored. Thank you for that. And it was an instant. Yes. And I trust that resonance, you know, that, uh, and, and this conversation just proves how accurate it is, you know, that there is, um, there are so many people I want to speak to that I know I will bring into the show. And there are a lot of people who I can feel I need to have a little bit more form to feel competent in that dynamic. And when I feel the, resonance of that uh liquid allowance (laughs) i could feel it i could feel it just in in seeing you speak and it's so funny we didn't even get to that one the one video we were going to talk about that but i would love to have you back again i want to have so many more conversations with you (laughs) clearly we we like two hours like we can go way past that yeah but i just feel the i could feel the resonance and the allowance and um I'm just in that in in my in my transition into the creation for me it is about trust and trusting that the the patience and the steadiness and the uh when I'm inviting somebody into this space uh to follow the internal mechanism that's pushing me here or there and trusting that the the people who arrive in this moment are going to if I'm listening to that mechanism it's going to be the perfect for that moment conversation. Mm-hmm. And every conversation I'm having, they're, they're all getting scheduled really organically. It's, there isn't struggle. There hasn't been yet. It's just been this really, it's been like flowing on a river. And you just, you know, you were just like in the river. You were just in the river already. It was just like, of course, like you're already here. And I, you know, I'm just aware of the fact that you're in the river, but you've been in the river all along. And I feel that kind of, um, you know, in the community, it's so funny. A lot of these guests, uh, we've all had some connection point through James Olivia and Nick Strack, 
<laughs> so funny. there's something constellating there around that and um, just noticing the trust that I have in those two and how I feel in relationship with them and hold with such high regard how how they move in the world and who they resonate with. And just, yeah, oh, you're, you've been in the river all along. Mm. And I'm so grateful to be aware of the fact that we're in the river together. Let's swim. Let's swim. <laughs> Let's play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You got more questions for me? I, I want to be aware of, of your time. I know. I want to be aware of your time too. So maybe we can just move through them like as quickly as possible. And Let's then go. if there are tangents, I welcome them. <laughs> okay. How do you define relating to self? Multidimensional. Oh, I love that. Yes. What one life skill do you think could dramatically change our culture if we all personally attended to it? Oh, I love that question. <laughs> um, I have two. Great. One is the skill of love. Mm. And two is the sentence, no one is disposable. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And those two can dance plenty. Oh, plenty. Oh, oh, my mind is swirling. Okay, I'm putting- I wanna, I wanna give a shout out to Mrs. Payan, my mom for no one is disposable and that does that is a sentence that exists in our in our environment as the children learn to interact oh. with other children so beautiful community care is very very important yes 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 oh uh, we're going to have more conversations about that <laughs> we oh, la, la, la. <sighs> i chew i chew i chew Okay. What do you make space for or effort towards every day? Create it. Creativity. <laughs> Creative expression. That's uh, my, every moment of every day I'm reaching for it. Yes. It reaches back. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm, with you. What type of world are you creating? Mm. Um. A creative one, a free one, a loving one, and a patient one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Next time you're on the show, I want to hear what all of those words mean to you and how you relate to them. <laughs> Look, I want to pick, yeah, pick, pick. pick. Yeah, I'm going for fast, but there's I know, a lot I know there's worlds here. <laughs> it's okay. We're going to have so much more time. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. We're, we're mm -hmm. going to, we're going to talk more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what are you celebrating about our world right now? The word that comes to mind is life. Mm. I'm celebrating life, which includes death, but I'm celebrating life. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. The whole cycle. Yeah. With you. Okay. Last one. What do you want to leave listeners with today? 
I want to leave listeners with the invitation to connect with their heart and create from that space. The heart knows how to create. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, how can we support your work, interact with your work, follow all the things? So I appreciate the question. NadiaPayan.com is probably the best place to see what I'm up to um, because I'm in flux right now with what I have to offer as I, as I um, become more involved with the school too. Mm. And, um, and I'm Nadia Payan on Instagram. That's basically it. Oh, I'm on Clubhouse too. If people are into that now, is that a thing that people are talking about now? You know, I'm I do on me- Clubhouse uh, and meditations I there. Oh. Um, I also have a membership community called Aligned Visionaries. Um, so yes. yeah, all that info, all that info can be on, is on nadiapayan.com, but yeah, doing some things. I love <laughs> me on the socials. <laughs> I love that. I love, I love all of that. I have a clubhouse. I don't know how to use it. I don't know what's going on there, but, oh. um, I have one. Let me so. know if you, if you are interested and when you have capacity, I'm happy to like walk you through. Someone did that for me. And it was, again, this is what sometimes community community care is this like, Oh, you just need to know how the clubhouse works. No problem. Let's do it. Schedule a time, take 10 (sighs) minutes and I'll walk you through all the little things. Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. Thank you. And then maybe we can lead a conversation there. I would love that. That would be fun. I now have a club called Aligned Visionaries on Clubhouse. Sweet. So everyone find it. And we've, my business partner and I have been like, okay, let's find people to collaborate with, to bring on. Cause yeah, we're, we're out here doing, there's so many of us like doing this type of work, you know? Yes. And, um, and so many more of us that are looking for those of us who are doing this type of work. So yes, yo, the, this is not a, this is not a me versus you scarcity situation. This is like a let's go whole team gather Voltron moment. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, this is to me, this is truth. This is the reclamation Mm. of our liberation. It's us together. We don't exist in a vacuum. Our liberation doesn't exist in a vacuum. Our prosperity doesn't exist in a vacuum. We are here together. And through that connection, we thrive. We, we synthesize so much more together than we can on our own. I am. There's a possibility <sighs> of a world where we understand our self-individuation and our collectiveness. Yes. That's maybe that was my answer for one of those other questions, but <laughs> yes. And <laughs> also how, where, where we can savor our similarities and celebrate our differences that, you know, the, it's the yes. And it's the paradox Again, 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 always coming back to it. Okay, this is one more question. It's a little like it's a little bonus question. I this isn't a thing I ask everyone <laughs> just because it hasn't come to my mind before. But uh, I'm really curious if you have a term that you love to be called, like um, babe, or for me, I love when people call me sir, or um, I really like my guy lately. I really enjoy king. Like there, you know, I'm curious. I also like babe. Um, so I'm curious if you have any uh, any of those words that you enjoy I being do. called. I do. I love when people call me Nadia. Great. I like that. I'm serious. <laughs> like I love it. I think it's cool. Like I've always 
some people don't have this love affair with their name, but I totally do. (laughs) And then I also love to be called friend and beloved. I love knowing that. Mm -hmm. See, and this is why I love asking is because I have difference here and I have been more and more aware of, oh, what's the thing that you like to be called? Because sometimes people call me a thing and I'm like, no, don't call me that. Uh, And like, actually beloved is one of them for me that I don't like to be called beloved. I used to love it. And I, I have a difference with it now because of certain people who called me that and that it just was like, oh, you know, it just took Mm -hmm. it somewhere else. Lived experience. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so now it's like, oh, I, I wouldn't have gone for that word. I love knowing that you're going to receive that as a, as like really feeling seen and supported and cherished Mm. that, oh, I, I celebrate that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I celebrate our difference here. Yeah, no, that's really, I really, I, I hope that you keep asking this question because that was really fun to Atlanta to end on. That's really awesome. Cool. Awesome. And can we, can we just notice that through this conversation, I feel like that there was still so much more similarity than difference. And I want to keep picking because yeah. where's our, <laughs> so we just came to one. Okay. You like to be called beloved well, and I don't, but actually a lot of what you presented, I'm like, I don't have a difference. I have a curiosity and I think that I might be more aligned than um, at first glance, I'm going to chew. Can I offer something up here? Yes, please. We have a lot of difference in our lived experience. Yes. And I think that that's something that it's so important and people downplay it, but lived experience really informs how we can show up in that collective care ecosystem. Yeah. Because there's going to be certain people that when they hear you talk about your lived experience, they're going to be like, ah, I have through lines that connect with that lived experience. And there's going to be certain people that, and I've seen it. And it's not that like they'll never end up in both of our spheres. It's that that's what abundance really is, right? Is that through our lived experience, our gifts, our, our, our wisdom and this, and also the skills, right? Um, People are able to be like, that resonates with me. I need like, with with me in this moment with what i'm going through yeah and and then they gravitate they orbit they harmonize they they come together you know and and we all come together in this way but it i do think that's important and the reason yeah. why i name it is because um with the with the family dynamic um i have actually found that i seem to be very different from a lot of the people that i love in my life for not having trauma mm. in the family dynamic outright mm. like that in the, my generation from my parents to me and or trauma or addiction or things like that mm-hmm. and I, again creative people who are living into that create we're we're very sensitive beings yeah and so for me I'm very used to being around people that do have that lived experience. And while I can reach for relating and I can reach for understanding, I cannot, reach for lived experience from this moment in time, maybe yeah. from another lifetime, another timeline. Yeah. Sure. But in terms of this human experience that I also want to honor, mm-hmm. um, that's that's where the differences are able to open up ideas to a lot of a lot of people as opposed to like one or two people. Absolutely. I mean what what's so interesting to me in in that when I when I said that like we don't have a lot of difference 
what I, this is the journey I went on. Here's our similarity. Here are our differences. And the differences when we were distilling them to the essence and the perspective, I felt we made our way back to similarity. And so, <laughs> you know, it was almost like this cycle that because there was, you know, when we were, even when we were just speaking about our lineage, that there, there's this dichotomy there of the grief and the celebration of resilience and the, you know, this, like that our frame of a reference, even though the lived experience is different, the perspective we carry as a result of the conditions and the perspective that we have gone after, the skills we've gone after to uh, facilitate an understanding of the world, what it seems like anyway, just from this one conversation, is that we've arrived at a very similar ideology that we can take very different lived experiences, but run it through a similar lens. And so that's interesting to me that, that because our differences can often lead to such different lenses, it's interesting to me that our differences have led us to a similar lens. And so I still feel like, oh, like where there's like something more happening here. And I feel really curious of, of um, where our differences lead to difference. You know, like, where does that keep going? Like, oh, I, yeah. fa I really fascinate over that. And I think it's, it's thrilling to me that we found our way through similarity, difference back to similarity. And I just I, like, this is just the beginning. And I feel really thrilled and nourished. And um, I feel like soil that's just been watered and is like in the sun is just like, oh, mm -hmm. yes, the conditions <laughs> are right for growth. <laughs> yeah this was a very nourishing yeah this felt like a good meal yeah thank you thank you thank you so much for being here now it's time for creatively exploring your opportunity to digest today's episode through your own creative expression. Today's question is a simple one. Feel free to get a pen, pause the show, get a notebook, get your phone out to make some notes so you can return to this whenever you have time or get set up to answer right now. Five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you've got. This week's question is, at this moment in my life, how do I define creativity? I think that's such a fun one to get into, and I would love to hear your answers. So if you do this writing exercise and you come up with an answer, call in. Please share. I would love to hear it. 1-833-2-RELATE, 1-833-273-5283. I love getting messages from you. Seriously. I love it so much. Every time I see one come in, you can ask my friends who have seen me get excited in real time. I bubble. <laughs> I get so excited to hear from you. So please call in, share. I would love to hear your answer to this. How are you defining creativity at this moment in your life? If you want to support the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash Novus. You can do so for free also by subscribing, sharing with a friend, following me on Instagram at viana.novus, leaving a review, leaving a rating, all of those things help so much. Music for this week's episode was written and recorded by Zena Carlota at Z-E-N-A 
C-A-R-L-O-T-A on Instagram and mixed by Brandon Willing James at Be Willing, B-W-I-L-L-I-N-G on Instagram. I hope you have a great week. I hope you are resting, drinking water, eating nourishing food, and taking some time offline to regulate your nervous system. Deep, deep love and gratitude for your presence here. Thank you. I'll see you next week.